We're going to be talking tonight again about the theme of fear not, fear not. You probably have read that or encountered that uh, word, wording or some wording like that in, in the scriptures several times, and we're going to kind of go through a just a kind of a glance study on that tonight. And so, uh, first of all, I want to talk about fear. Um, wasn't it, uh, who said it? There is nothing to but fear but fear itself. Who was that? Roosevelt. I think it was Roosevelt. I'm thinking of another Churchill quote, you know, off the top of my head, but I'm thinking too much in his voice, not in what he actually said. So, <laughs> anyways, he had a very, both of those men had a very distinct voice, I will say that. Uh, but when you think about fear, what do we fear? There's a lot of people who uh, fear different things. We call it natural, you know, different phobias. Uh, so, someone who is, uh, there's different fears. There's a fear of heights, for example. There's uh, claustrophobia, which is what? Fear of tight spaces, okay? Um, what's a, what is uh, arachnophobia? See if you know your phobias. Okay, some of you are really quick on that one. Fear of spiders, yes. Maybe our fear of, have fear of spiders as well. Uh, anyways, there's a lot of different phobias. Did you know that there's, a, there's different uh, weird kind of phobias? Have you ever heard of these? Uh, there's genophobia, which is what? Fear of the knees. If you're afraid, afraid of knees, there you go. Uh, I'm going to just pick on my daughter, Linnea. She, she's in the back with Wesley. But anyways, uh, cholrophobia. Cholrophobia is fear of clowns. All right. How many of you, I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many are afraid of clowns? Uh, let's see here. There is uh, turnophobia. That's the fear of feathers. Chorophobia is the fear of dancing. I think almost all of us have that one, okay? Chorophobia, all right? Uh, let's see here. There is electrophobia. That is fear of chickens, okay? Uh, maybe my kids have this one is pogonophobia or pogonophobia, how it's pronounced. That's fear of beards. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. There's a couple others. Uh, nephophobia is fear of clouds. If you're afraid of clouds. Okay. Anyways, there's a, quite a list of different things. There is also a phobophobia, which is fear of fear. There's fear of fear. You know, I'm just afraid of being afraid. Agrophobia, which is? Fear of farming. There you go. <laughs> or maybe just fear of work, you know, period. Some, some people have that. Um, maybe this is uh, dating me or telling me something like that. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was uh, uh, Garfield and Friends. That was popular more so back in the 80s. Uh, but there was a place called, or a show called U.S. Acres, and they even had a little comic strip. You know, remember when the, you actually used to get a physical paper? And used to get to, you know a little comic strip and all that. Anyways, U.S. Acres, there was uh, you had Orson the pig, uh, different different characters, but there was Wade the duck. Wade the duck was his thing was he was afraid of everything, except it was interesting he was never afraid of the of his friends, he, but he was afraid of everything else. He was afraid of the sky, afraid of trees, afraid of the ground, afraid of you know whatever. Uh, he was afraid of fear. Uh, but anyways, he was never afraid of his friends. That's kind of interesting. But uh, nonetheless, there's a lot of different phobias, a lot of different fears. And the thing is this, that different fears definitely grip us in different ways, don't they? Um, they, can, they can be paralyzing if you let it. If you let it, if you dwell on it long enough, uh, fears can sometimes stop you from your da- even your daily routine of things or going into certain places. That is what's going on. Now, 
Now, when you look at the news uh, today, there's probably a lot to be afraid of. When you think of it, there's, you know, uh, good news really doesn't sell, does it? It doesn't, or it doesn't sell very much. Uh, bad news sells, I mean, you could do that day in, day out. And that's what they, they kind of are, uh, news stories uh, kind of are propelled based on fear to a degree. But look at what's going on in our world right now. We have, there's war in Ukraine right now between Ukraine and Russia. There's other numerous threats around the world, cyber threats. Uh, we have nuclear threats. You think of like what's going on with China, for example, what's going on with North Korea, uh, issues in the Middle East that are taking on. Um, it comes and goes. I mean, for a while, uh, you saw, actually for a couple of years, we saw what was going on with Al-Qaeda and then also the Taliban and then ISIS. I mean, the list would go on and on. I mean, these were people you didn't want to mess around with. Um, but nonetheless, we see rampant sin that's showing its ugly face. You think of corruption, uh, things that people are taking, being taken advantage of. There's a lot of fears that people deal with, and many people feel that this world is spinning out of control. And fear is even common among believers in Christ, I will say that, just of the general things of this world and general things of this life. Um, I'll be honest with you, uh, I do not really watch much news um, I have, I couldn't tell you the, probably the last time I watched Fox News, for example, was when I was with my dad a couple weeks ago. Uh, because why? It's interesting when you, I don't care what news source it is, you watch it for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you pretty much have had your limit, unless you're just a news junkie, you like that. But what happens? They just cycle the news every hour. It's the same thing, maybe a different person saying it. But it's the same news story, just being told from a different angle, maybe. And people do that for, they could watch that for hours. So, and then the thing is this, what news can you really trust out there? They, everyone has their own agenda angle on that. Maybe you're getting a straight story. Maybe it's with an angle. You'd, it's hard to really tell until you really compare uh, several news stories. But really, who has the time to do that unless you just like to do that? But nonetheless, uh, by the way, I will say a caveat here that it's not that I ignore the news. I don't ignore the news. I just don't dwell on it. That's probably the thing. So anyways, with that in mind, how do you balance life with so many phobias or fears that can really, if you let it, it will get you depressed, sullen, uh, just you're like, man, why in the world are we going through this? And so it's interesting when we think about this, where does fear come from? Have you ever thought about that? Where does our fear come from? And we kind of think, well, fear is common. Everyone has some type of fear or phobia to some degree or another, okay? Um, but anyways, what exactly is fear? And like I said, fear and the, what the feelings of fear or the attitude of that is actually common even among believers. But fear, where does fear come from? Fear is the result of sin. Remember that. Fear is the result, and I'm saying of being af literally afraid is the idea, uh, or uh, being held in check like that. Where does fear first begin in the Bible? Well, let's turn to that. Uh, go with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in a couple places tonight in the scriptures, so get your uh, turning page fingers ready for that. So Genesis chapter 3. If you know your uh, first couple chapters of Genesis, you'll know that Genesis 1 and 2 are basically the creation account and the creation of, of man and woman, Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 3, this is, of course, the chapter concerning the fall, the fall of man. And we know that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And we know that at that, that moment, their, their lives and really the rest of the world was totally changed because of that sin, because of that, that choice that they had made. But one thing that's really interesting, look what changed 
is, is found here. Very, it's very interesting. Um, look with me in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse, uh, verse... Let's go in verse 8. Okay, starting right there. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. It's very interesting. Um, this is really one of the first words that we hear Adam saying. Uh, the, the other one was in Genesis 2, where he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, re- regarding Eve, um, that she was the mother of all living. And of course, we know that he named all the animals, but we don't have him actually talking, saying that. But here we have Adam speaking, and this is the response, where are you? And he basically said, I was afraid. Fear came in, and it's interesting, that drove him, he and Eve, to hide as a result of shame, as a result of the guilt that they had because of their sin. But anyways, it's interesting, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, one of the first emotions that they encountered was fear, which I think is fascinating. I, I, I could park on this for a while, but just this quick thought, remember uh, Satan, or the serpent, promised them the moon. You will, if you eat this, you'll be as gods, knowing both good and evil and all that. But he, Satan didn't tell them, well, you're also going to feel fear. There's a price to this. There's something, you know, the Satan sugarcoats things, doesn't he? And before you know it, you're, you're swept in hook, line, and sinker. But one of the things is, one of the first emotions they faced was fear. The world that they previously knew before the fall was one of peace and stability. That's it. Before this event happened, I mean, it was a great world of peace, stability, no chaos. Everything was great. Everything was perfect. Everything was very good. But now the world that they knew afterward was one of instability. And since Adam and Eve and the fall, the whole world has been unstable. It really has. This whole world is, is unpredictable in some ways. And so it's, it's interesting seeing the fear that we have. Now, I kind of want to shift the focus a little bit of the fear and talk about here that there is a difference between the fear of God and the fear of man. The fear of God and the fear of man. Well, now, when we say the fear of God, and, and if you study in the book of uh, Proverbs, for example, you'll find that this fear, uh, you could use another word, respect, in a say, it's or a reverence that you have for God. Uh, because of fearing God or, um, or reverencing God, you will behave in a certain way. For example, if you went uh, to Buckingham Palace and met King Charles, uh, you would probably have a certain fear or respect when you entered in to, to the palace. Uh, there's just that comes with that. In a, in a way, uh, in a, actually in a greater way, we have that with God. But there's an opposite sign. That's the fear of man. And the fear of man is not so much a reverence for fellow man, you know, for example. A lot of it is really just trying to appease man is what it is. We're trying to appease our neighbors. We're trying to fit in uh, to some extent. Uh, and here's the difference. The fear of God keeps us from sin. If you truly fear God or reverence him, that will keep you from sin. But the fear of man leads to sin, leads to pride, it leads to fear, leads to arrogance, things like that. So why all this fear? It's interesting, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 3, um, actually, let's turn there, because it's, it's a good, it's one of my favorite verses, I'll be honest with you. Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where that is, you've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, okay? 
We're at the very end of the, of the book here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 13. And Solomon is writing this here, probably towards the end of his life. So he had a chance to reflect on different things. And it says in verse 13, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So the conclusion of the whole matter, when you sum up life, what our response is to God is simply to fear Him. To fear God, keep His commandments, this is the whole duty of man. To fear God, to have a reverential awe of God, and therefore living accordingly is the idea. Uh, and that's really what sums this up. But here's the thing, that's the simple command, to fear God and keep His commandments. But we have decided not to do that. <laughs> Mankind has decided we were, we're not going to fear God. We're going to fear man. Okay? So, it's interesting. What comes with that, though? When we decide to have man as our focus and try to get along with fellow man, I'm not saying to be, uh, don't, you know, don't try to push people the wrong way. I'm not saying that. Be a good neighbor. Be a good friend. Things like that. But here's the thing. If we are so focused on pleasing man, what is the result of that? The thing is this, that we become fearful of things that we should not be afraid of. It's interesting. You become fearful of man. In other words, you start, um, let's say you're going into, into work, let's say, and um, you know you're going to be meeting with some people and you know, it'd be easier to fit in with the crowd and whatever they do or what they do after work or whatever. You know, you can fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you just know that it would be tempting to simply fear man. In other words, try to appease them to fit in, or at least keep up with the Joneses. Maybe that's a way to do it. I'll be honest with you, if you try to keep up with the Joneses, guess what? You'll have to keep up with the Smiths as well, and the Andersons as well, and the Sunmakers as well. I mean, and the, you could go on and on and on, and guess what? You're going to continue appeasing people, and guess what? You're going to just wear yourself out. And that's the thing. I think so many times, and even Christians, we're guilty of just trying to fit in if you will. We're trying to fear man in that, in that regard. But we become fearful of things we should not be afraid of. It's, it's very interesting. In fact, we have the means to rise above fear when you think about that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has given us a spirit, uh, not, not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or, or of self-control is the idea. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, to fear man, to be driven. And it's really what you're driven by. If you're driven by what my neighbor thinks of me, what my, even my family thinks of me, instead of primarily what God thinks I should do or what I, sh or I should do for God. So it's keeping ourselves in check. I think that's so important. So what I want to share is just some practical evidences here in the Bible or several ways in the Bible that God has commanded us to fear not. And this is actually from a little um, website called gotquestions.org. It's a, something I go to every once in a while for discipleship. Years ago, I was actually asked to contribute. It didn't work out, but it was, it's, it's a good organization, gotquestions.org. Anyways, they say this, God's command to fear not is applied in several ways in the Bible. For example, here's three examples. Number one, the fear of what other people think should never prevent us from obeying the Lord. Think about that. The fear of what other people think should never prevent us from obeying the Lord. Well, well they aren't going to think too highly of me. Well, so what? You just do what God says. Uh, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he hath done for you. That's in 1 Samuel. So very important. 
Um, also, we should not fear of lacking provision in this world. Didn't God say, Jesus say, that uh, he talks about, uh, doesn't your heavenly Father know more about the sparrows? If he knows about the sparrows, he will be concerned for you as well. Uh, we will not lack uh, our general provision. God knows and cares for us. We do not need fear of where our, our food is coming from. Sometimes in our flesh we feel that way. But as a believer, we should not be afraid of that. We should not fear that, simply trusting God for that. And also, number three, we do not fear the plans of the wicked, even when they rise to power. Fret not when your enemy uh, um, grows in power, for example. So even though that people might want to do wicked things, that should we have nothing to fear. Why? Because we know we are victorious in Christ. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We'll be talking about that on Sunday morning in the next couple of weeks. So there's some practical things of not to be afraid of. When the Bible tells us do not fear or fear not, it means we are not allowed. This is kind of where the rubber meets the road now. When, when you re- come across that word, do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not, it means we should not allow anxiety or fretfulness to rule our lives or take root in our hearts. We should not be, Christians should not be people of panic. We are to be people of faith. Okay, there's a difference. Now you might see the world spinning out of control, uh, things like that. Maybe your neighbor's just throwing up their hands, what am I going to do? Don't be a people of panic, be a people of faith. Now, there are times where we are startled, St- times where we, you know, we get what happened this week, for example, with uh, the Zachman family. Everything kind of just stopped in its tracks uh, for them. But it was interesting, even though there was a, a very, um, the, you're dealing with the shock of that. One thing I've been just blessed by, by the testimony, I'm referring more to Mark and Linda because I've been dealing mostly with them is that they have not become people of panic. They have become people of faith. They have said every conversation I've had, Pastor, we are trusting God. We are trusting God. They are fearing God. They are fearing not even the tragedy that they've experienced. They are choosing to be people of faith. I don't know about you, but that just, (laughs) that encourages me. That encourages me for that. So let's go think of through the scriptures now a little bit. Through the years, God has told Abraham, Joshua, and, and others concerning his plan for them concerning the, and for the concerning the children of Israel. He began, God began his promises often with these words, fear not. And, he, and whenever God spoke these words, why did he say that to Abraham or to Joshua or to others? Because when God said these words, he was preparing his people for a closer relationship with him. Not only did God give this command to fear not, but he also gave a promise. Fear not, and what is usually the next words that go with that? I am with you. Isn't that interesting? There's a command, fear not, followed by I am with you. It's a promise that God has given us. So this is talking about God has said these words to invite us to a closer closer relationship with him. You know, not many people like change, but God desires to change our hearts. Why? So we, we would be more conformed to the image of his dear son. That's Romans chapter 8, 29, in which we'll get to that actually next Sunday. So pretty amazing seeing that God's purpose uh, when he says, fear not. But what is, let's talk about the New Testament now. What does Jesus say about fear? What did Jesus say about fear? Turn with me to the book of, uh, actually, yeah, let's do John 14. John 14. 
this is a familiar passage to us. This is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And uh, he had just washed his feet, uh, the disciples' feet. He had foretold of his betrayal that barely one of you tonight will betray me. Talking about Judas Iscariot. Talks about a new commandment. Then he talks about Peter uh, would deny him. So a little bit unsettling that's going on. Of course, the disciples didn't really fully realize what was taking place. But in just a few hours, Jesus would have been arrested and eventually brought on trial. And then that next morning, he would be crucified. And so what does Jesus say? His parting words to his disciples in John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. It's basically fear not. That's the gist of it. Fear not. Very important. So as he spoke these words, here's the point. These are the words of Jesus. And therefore, the words of God does wonders to comfort the troubled soul. And in this week, we can rest in the truth of the scriptures. But let's think about this. Jesus died just within a few hours of this text. And then, of course, three days later, what? He rose again from the dead. Let's go to the the resurrection account. I want you to see something really interesting in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I said we'd be in a few places tonight. So Matthew chapter 28. Okay. So here is Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus, and it prevents, it, it, in this account, presents very, two very different results of the miracle of the resurrection. Look at the result of this. And so it says here... Um, Verse 1, let's start at the very beginning. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Okay, let's talk about opening the, the, the tomb. We know Jesus is resurrected. <clears throat> and it says here, And his countenance was like lightning, as raiment white as snow. Talking about the angel. And, and it says here in verse 4, And for fear of him... The keepers did shake, okay, interesting, and became as dead men. So there was a response. The keepers were afraid, basically, and they, be, they fainted. They became as dead men, okay, pretty interesting. So that's one aspect of it. And then what was the other? And, and it's interesting, what happened? The, the angels kind of just let the, the soldiers just lie there, okay, pretty interesting. But what was the other end of that? The, verse 5, the angel answered and said unto the women, and to Mary and the women there, fear not ye, fear not, for I know that ye see Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, I said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Look at this. It's, it's really interesting. Verses 4 and 5 are really uh, opposite ideas of fear. You had the keepers, the guards, who, because they were afraid, they fainted. And then now the angel comes to the women, fear not. And here's the difference. This is interesting. The angel let the guards lie there, but then the angel spoke to the women who visited the tomb. With one group, God takes away their fear, and with the other group, he allows fear to overwhelm them. Isn't that interesting? God allowed the fear of the soldiers to overwhelm them, so they become faint as dead men. God does, does allow that, especially. And here's the thing. The difference of this, this fear is this. The fear of man versus the fear of God. The difference was one of belief versus unbelief. The keepers, they didn't believe it. They were there probably for a duty, if nothing else. Uh, I don't know what stake they had personally, but they were, of course, ordered by the religious leaders to guard the tomb because 
they chose not to believe in Jesus. Okay? They chose not to. But the women, they came expected, well, to care for Jesus, the body at least, not realizing that he was, he was alive. But the difference here is belief versus unbelief. And I think that when we think about the fear of God versus the fear of man, ultimately, that's the difference as well. It's the fear of belief or unbelief. The fear of God is saying, God, I believe you for who you are, and that I am in awe of you. I reverence you. I worship you. I want to follow you. I want to fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Versus the fear of man saying, I know I'm supposed to obey God, but you know what? These neighbors are really giving me a hard time. If I just say yes to them, it'll make things easier. But you know if you do that, it's, it could be a slippery slope. You understand what I mean? That's unbelief. That's unbelief. When you are tempted to go astray, uh, that is unbelief. And so very interesting when you look at that, that uh, comparison there. So going back to the upper room, now after Jesus had resurrected from the, the grave, we know later on Jesus appeared to uh, the disciples in the upper room. And what happened? The disciples were what? Filled with what? Fear. Why were they up there? They were afraid. They probably thought, oh, may, may, maybe we're next. Jesus is dead now. What about us? They were fear, uh, filled with fear. Their lives were shattered as they thought their master was gone. After Jesus rose, he appeared to his disciples saying what? Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. In a sense, fear not. His presence comforted them greatly. And after Jesus went back to heaven, after the ascension, he sent his Holy Spirit as the divine comforter. We talked about this morning, as the divine comforter for those who follow him. Now, 2,000 years have passed since that event, and here we are today. Over the years, kingdoms have come and gone, but God's kingdom will have no end. Praise God. But so often we are, let's talk about today, we're often distracted by the events of the world. So much that some, even some Christians, have lost hope. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's some Christians that I have met, and they, they're kind of like a, I call them a crisis Christian. It's like if they don't have a crisis in their life, they don't know what to do with themselves. Have you ever met someone like that? Like, man, they're, it just has to have something bad happening all the time, and if not, they don't know what to do with themselves, Okay. They're just driven that way. I don't understand it, folks. I'm, <laughs> I got enough going on without having to worry about that stuff. But nonetheless, so many people have lost hope in that. Where is their hope? And I want us to challenge this. As we await for the Lord's return, remember the promises of God. Our God is sovereign. He is in control. And there's a little saying, remember, no God, no peace, N-O. If there's no God, you're not going to have peace. But if you know God in your heart, you will know peace. Very simple. But let's focus on the future as we kind of close this all up today. Fear and the future. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, uh, actually, let's turn there because this is a beautiful passage. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, this is a familiar passage, I believe, to most of us. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay. So in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote of the Lord's promise to return for his own at the event called the rapture, uh, which I believe can happen at any moment. Uh, even so come Lord Jesus. So that would be wonderful. Even tonight that would happen. But uh, the Thessalonians, they actually dealt with fear. Some of them, the context of this uh, very quickly is uh, there were some people in the church that Paul had been there ministering, things like that. 
And uh, anyway, some people in that church family had died, and they were kind of like, oh, did we miss the rapture? Uh, there was some fear, some uncertainty that was going on. So Paul writes them a letter to kind of assure them that, no, this is what you should expect with the Lord's return, that there is a, a promise in the events that would take place. So in this, he instructed, let's go with this, in verse 13. It says here, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That's the fear of, of man, basically. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also which them which sleep in Jesus, who have died in Christ, will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we shall, that are alive and remain shall, of the, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them that are asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. By the way, in verse 17, where it says, shall be caught up, the Greek word is harpazo, which it means to be snatched away, basically caught up is where we get the word rapture from uh, in the Latin, is kind of how we get it. But in other words, that's, that's the teaching of the rapture in the Bible. But anyways, Paul is giving here from the, from the Lord a promise of God's return, of the Lord's return uh, for his own. What a blessing that is. And instead of it being a time of fear and uncertainty, here's the point. Verse 18. This is actually my favorite verse in this section of Scripture. Wherefore, what? Comfort one another with these words. Fear not. That's the idea. These are words of comfort that should encourage us. So talking about our future, in the future, Jesus Christ will come and take this world and make wrong things right. As we look at the big picture, even the book of Revelation... We're reminded that the focus is not on the Antichrist, it's on Jesus Christ. It's the uh, revelation of, it's the revelation or the apocalypse, the revelation of, not the Antichrist, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the book. Talking about after Jesus comes back, after the seven-year tribulation, the millennial age will bring a time of true peace upon this earth. Uh, Jesus will turn a time of lawlessness into a time of righteous and sovereign rule. The perspective of future events, though, should encourage our hearts that God is in control. His plan is perfect in every aspect. With that, we can rest in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. What about today? That's the future. We have a perfect peace with God in one day. But it is worth reminding ourselves that the scriptures say, in light of our struggles of this life, 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's a benefit of having that fellowship with Jesus Christ. This love compels us then to love one another in the love of God. This is the reality of living out the hope that is within us. And trusting God then brings a true shalom, a true peace that is beyond human comprehension. We can place our hope in our fear in Him. Until the Lord returns, we need to be working and watching and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Keeping the Word of God close to our heart should not cause us to be afraid, even during chaotic times, which feels like that every day, and more and more as the days go on. But rather, today, we should heed God's Word, follow it, keep our focus and our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and fear not. What a blessing that is. So we start from the book of Genesis to all the way to the end. And the idea of the fears that we battle with our own mind, what a blessing it is that we simply fear the Lord 
And fear not with the circumstances in our life, because what has God promised? I am with you. What a blessing that is. Amen.